This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Today we're resuming with our series, and we are picking up right where we left off. If you have a Bible, go with me today to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, beginning in verse 11 through 14. It'll be on the screen for you as well. And here's what it says. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk. Say milk. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Good from evil. Now, last week you heard Pastor Candace talk about what it means to pray and obey. And we, we looked at the fact that Jesus is our high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. We talked a lot about that. We talked about the cup of suffering, the cup of, of pain, the, the, the process that we go through as believers. And it's not always fun. Sometimes it's a little uncomfortable. And uh, before that, we looked at entering our Sabbath rest. We talked about what it means to approach the throne of God of grace with confidence. How many of you guys were here for that message? And then before that, we talked about fixing our, focusing our thoughts on Jesus and how important that is for us right now in this cultural moment that we do that. Today, the title of my message is this, Get Off the Bottle. For some of us, this is what our lives look like right now. And we like milk. Anybody like milk? I like milk. But how many of you guys know milk's not solid food? Right? It's kind of gross. <laughs> when did we get this thing poured? <laughs> some of us, this is, this is our life right now. Spiritually speaking, we're, we're on the bottle. And we enjoy the bottle, right? The bottle soothes us, comforts us. We got a few babies in the house. Saw a few of them scooting down the aisle today. I love it. Avery's in the house. Arthur's in the house. We got, we got all kinds of babies happening. We got a, a new little baby in the back there. I love it. I love it. We're just overflowing with babies. Look out. How many of you guys know babies like milk? Right? Babies need milk. They can't eat steak. Take your baby down to Ruth Chris and cut some steak up for him, and he's going to choke. Because babies need the bottle. They need this. But as believers, God wants us to move from the bottle to solid food because he wants us to mature. And I believe that as a church, if we're going to have impact in this city and that's what we're praying for, that's what we're believing for, that's what we're contending for with every spiritual conversation that we have, with every relationship that we form, with every business new uh, endeavor that we start, that we're going to have impact in the lives of people and the lives of those around us. But how many of you guys know that that's only going to happen if we get off this? If we get off the bottle. So today I want to talk to you about what it means to get off the bottle. Say it with me. Get off the bottle. I want to give you four, just four practical ways that I, I think we can do this. This is a practical guide for uncommon living. So let's keep this practical today. Number one, if you're taking notes, in order to mature in your faith and move from the bottle to solid food, you must seek to understand. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter five, verse 11. He says this, it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. 
One of the marks of immaturity is when we cease to try to understand. When we'd rather be understood than understand others. More on that in a second. I look at it this way. Is your life an open book or a closed book? Open or closed? If, you're, if your life is an open book, you're willing to receive new information. You're willing, you're willing to receive uh, new information and to uh, learn about new things. That's important. You're willing to listen and receive from others. But if your life's a closed book, you're set in your ways. You're often quick to judge. You're not willing to receive new information or facts, and sometimes you're eager to dismiss or even ignore what God says or thinks. So is your life an open or a closed book? I believe we need to seek to understand before we're understood. This means that we remain open to what God wants for us, that we remain open to the people that God puts in our lives. Teachers, pastors, preachers, seasoned believers, other people of faith who are mature, who can teach us and lead us into maturity, into Christ-likeness. It also means that we remain curious. We're not too quick to judge. We're not too quick to point the finger. We actually work on becoming good listeners. How many of you would say, Pastor Jason, I am a great listener? All right, hold your hand up. See, not very many hands up in the room. One of you in the back. But how many would say, you know, sometimes I interrupt people and sometimes I'm eager to make my point known and sometimes I have a hard time listening. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty, Matt. We all love you and it's okay. <laughs> but listen to what the book of James, chapter one, verse nine says. It says this in the NIV. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. All right, this is for all of us. Everyone, everyone, everyone should be quick to what? Listen. Quick to listen and slow to speak and definitely slow to become angry. It seems to me that today, one of the struggles with our culture is that we are quick to speak and slow to listen. When in reality, as God's people, as those who are learning how to get off the bottle and move toward solid food, we are called to be slow to speak and quick to listen. We need to embrace this for our life because the truth of our matter is, is that our culture needs people who seek to understand, who seek out understanding. In fact, the Bible talks a lot about wisdom. It talks a lot about understanding and how we are called to seek it at all costs. I believe that we have to reclaim this if we're going to get off the bottle. Number two, we gotta get grounded in truth. What does the writer say in verse 12? In fact, though by this time you ought to be what? Teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths or truth of God's word all over again. Now, some of us, we may look at this and see this as a negative thing, but here's the reality. Every single one of us needs to know the elementary truths of God's word. We need to be grounded in truth. We need to have ownership of truth. We need to have this so embedded in our souls that we don't stray from it. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 119, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart, O God, that I might not sin against you. Where did he put his word? In his heart. He put it down deep in his soul. The writer in Hebrews verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 12 reminds us, for the word of God is what? It's alive and it's active. 
It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Friends, the word of God is powerful because it is actually alive and active. It's the voice of God to us. It's not just ink on a page. It's the living word of God. And it's sharper than any double-edged sword, which means it has the ability to penetrate into the deep places of our lives. Amen? We believe that it is the word of God. We believe that it is inspired and God-breathed. We believe that it is authoritative. It has authority. It, it speaks into every area of our life if we're willing to receive it. This is actually the point of Ephesians chapter four, but it says that we as pastors, apostles, teachers, and evangelists are provided by Christ Jesus himself for the edification or the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So my job as your pastor is to equip you with the word of God, to equip you to know truth, to have truth so embedded in who you are so that when we all leave this place today and we go out and we encounter the lies of the world, the falsities of the world, the misinformation, all the stuff that's going on in our world right now, online and in our workplace, that we know how to stand rooted and firm on the word of God. Anybody want to be anchored to the word? Anybody want to be just a, a, a bulwark of truth to your generation? Come on, young people. I'm talking to you today, especially you young ones in the back that look like my kids. <laughs> we need the truth from the word of God. And, and we need to be open to receive from those that are called to teach us the elementary truths of the word of God. Because if we don't, we can't move on from the bottle. We're still stuck on it. Number three, and I know we're moving fast today and that's all right. We also need to become well acquainted with righteousness. Say righteousness. Hebrews 5 verse 13 says this, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. So Pastor Jason, what is the teaching about righteousness? Does anybody know it? Anybody say, I'm acquainted with the teaching about righteousness? Simply put, the teaching about righteousness is the entire teaching of the New Testament. It is the instruction that Christ is our righteousness. That Jesus Christ achieved what we need to be made right or righteous before God. And he did so by going to that wooden cross and dying in our place. He did so so that through his life, and through his death and through his resurrection, we might be presented to the Father, forgiven, restored, justified, whole, and righteous before him. It means that we have peace with God. It means that our relationship has been restored. It means that the chasm that was created between us and God because of our sin, whether through sins of commission or sins of omission, has now been rightly dealt with by Jesus himself. It means that we have now the, the right to enjoy a new relationship with God, a restored relationship with God. Summarizing this wonderful work, Paul says this in his letter to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. And I'll say this before I read it. If you don't know this passage of scripture, this is a good one to commit to memory. This is a good one to have down deep in your soul. This is a good one to be well acquainted with. Are you ready for it? Here it is, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. 
The old has gone and the new is here. I love that. Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And here it is, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, no longer counting people's sins against them. How many are thankful that God no longer counts your sins against you? Oh my goodness. If you're not, come up here afterwards and we'll pray for you. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, because we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were actually making his appeal through us now, church. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, who? Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That's a long passage, but it is a beautiful summary of what Jesus has done for us by way of his death on that cross. He reconciled us to the Father. The word reconciliation means to restore relationship. It means to bring two things that were once opposed back together. And I always tell people there's a, there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is a unilateral effort made by one person to forgive another. But reconciliation is bilateral and that it involves two parties both coming to the table together. So when God made a way for us to come to that table by extending forgiveness, we then become reconciled by coming to him and joining with him in Christ Jesus. That's actually the picture. So we are the righteousness of God in Christ because of what Jesus has done, which means it's a settled deal. It's finished. It's accomplished once and for all. So your position and your status with God is a forever thing. It's done. It's finalized. This is, beloved, the teaching about righteousness, which is why we've got to be well acquainted with it. Because the enemy and the world and all of the cultural pressures that we now face are going to try to get you to move from who you are in Christ, to question your identity in him. We've got an identity crisis going on in our world right now, don't we? And it's not just gender ideology and gender politics and gender. It's actually the issue of identity. Who are we right now? Who are we as the church? Are we the bride of Christ? Are we the people of God? Are we his righteousness or not? Who are we? This is so crucial right now because I've, I've seen this play out before, but it's playing out even more right now. The spirit of the age is trying to get us to acquiesce to the pressures that we face. We've got a choice to make. We've got to know who we are. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. And the only way we're going to leave the bottle is if we know that. Which means that you don't have to answer the altar call every Sunday and get saved again. <laughs> Jesus did it. It's taken care of. Amen? You know how we like to say, you are the righteous of God in Christ Jesus around here at Creative Church? We say, you are God's best. You guys hear me say that? Your pastor can't say that? You are God's best. What we're essentially saying is this. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Why do we say that? Because we want the last thing that you hear before you leave is to be reminded of who you are in Jesus. That's important. It's important for all of us to remember who we are 
because we have a tendency to what? Sometimes forget who we are. We look at the mirror in the morning and we walk away and we forget what we look like, James says. We do that if we're still infants being breastfed or bottle fed, which is why we've got to move on to solid food. This has to be established in us. So we need to seek to understand. We need to become grounded in truth, well acquainted with righteousness, and number four today, we need to become well-trained in discernment. Well-trained in discernment. Listen to verse 14. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The word distinguish could also be translated as the word discern. It means to know the difference between what is good and what is evil. And discernment's an interesting topic for our day because all throughout the scriptures, we're actually commanded to do this, to distinguish between dark and light, between good and evil. In the, in the garden, humanity's curse was that it ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and struggled to know the difference ever since. Struggled to know how, how, to, how to handle good and how to handle evil. And what do we do? We take good things and we make them evil. And, and we, we take evil things and we call them good. And we get all mixed up. And our culture's all mixed up. And our world's all mixed up. It's almost like we need a savior to set us straight. Praise be to God in Christ Jesus. We have one. Amen. And we have his Holy Spirit, which he gives to us to lead us and to guide us in all truth. That's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, to not just help you, but to guide you into truth, to help you discern between that which is good and that which is evil. Right now, we've got to be people that know how to discern because the enemy's crafty and, he, and he's, he's cloaking things in such a way that almost sound like they're true or good, Right? We hear phrases like love is love and we go, yeah, love is love, right? But what is love? Love is patient. Love is kind, right? And the list goes on and on from there. We got we to gotta look at our biblical definitions of what these things really are, which is why we need to be in our Bibles and why we need to pray. Why need to be a people that are passionate about prayer? Paul actually admonishes the church to pray in the spirit at all times. Not sometimes, not just when you're feeling like it, not just when you're done with work, you finished all your to-dos, you mowed the lawn, you did the dishes. No, but to pray in the spirit at all times. This means that we pray under the direction, under the influence, and under the power of his spirit. Jesus gives us the promise of his spirit so that we can do this. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15. He says this, what then shall I do? I will pray in the spirit and I will also pray in words that I understand. I will sing in the spirit and I will also sing in words I understand. So Paul here is actually encouraging his church to do both, to pray in the spirit with words that they sometimes don't understand. Sometimes we refer to this as tongues and to pray with their minds or with words that they do understand. Sometimes we refer to this as intelligible speech or as speech that we can understand. Whatever way that you lean, the point is this, you need to pray. You need to be praying. Because the underlying central thing here is that we are a people of prayer, that we don't cease to pray, that we pray at all times. Why? Because the hour is getting late. 
because the days are becoming more and more evil because we need to know to how we need to know how to discern good from evil, dark from light. We need to be well trained in discernment. And then we're also told in 1 John chapter 4 verse 1 to actually go about testing what we see and experience. He says this, "Beloved, do not believe every spirit do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many what? False prophets have gone out into the world." We've encountered a few here in Utah, haven't we? That's right. Another reason we pray is to test the spirits, to acknowledge the difference between what is good and what is evil, not to mix with them. That's syncretism, not to mix, but to discern between them, which means we need to pay attention to the whispers and to the nudges of God. Those are those moments where you hear the voice of God down deep in your soul. It could be an impression. It might even be a thought, but, but you know it's not yours because your thoughts are usually stupid and get you into trouble. Just me? Okay, I thought I was preaching to myself for a moment there. But you know it's from God because it, 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 it wants to keep you safe. It wants to help you avoid traps and pitfalls and things that are so easy for us to fall into as a people. The whispers of God that come to us. Hey, don't do that. I know you're sitting at that stoplight and there's no other cars, but don't go. Wait for it to turn green. <laughs> is anybody else's struggle? I'm like, seriously, this is like five minute long light. I mean, I could just flip a quick U-turn and be done with it, right? And then you hear the voice again. No, don't do that. Don't do that, right? The whispers of God, it's a silly example, but the whispers and nudges, and we need to pay attention to the caution signs, the roadblocks. The times where God's just holding up a red flare. Eh, 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 don't go this way. Road closed. And we're powering through. No, I think I can make it. But what we don't see is on the other side of that roadblock or that road closure is a big, giant chasm that we're going to fall into. God wants to keep his people safe because he loves us. Because he loves you. He loves me. So we need to pay attention to the whispers and the nudges, the caution signs, the roadblocks. Ultimately, we need to become well-trained in discernment because God actually wants us to not just know how to distinguish between good and evil, but actually shun what is evil and embrace what is good. Listen to what Romans 12, 9 says. Paul says this, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Friends, we don't have a lot of permission to hate a whole lot of things, but we are commanded to hate evil. To not cozy up with it, make friends with it, open the window to it at night, let it into our room. No, to hate it, to despise it, to shun it, and to then run to what is good, to cling to, to embrace. The idea of someone who's clingy is somebody who can't let go. When you've got a little toddler and they're holding onto your leg, you're trying to get out of the house, what are they doing? They're clinging to you. That's the picture. God wants us as his kids to cling to what is good. Him, primarily. So, we need to hate what is evil. We need to cling to what is good. We need to be well-trained in discernment, which is why he wants us to get off the bottle. Because we, we can't resist evil if we're still infants who depend on milk. We can't become well-acquainted with our righteousness if we remain attached to the nozzle. I was going to say nipple, but someone said that might be offensive. Apparently, I just said it. We can't stand firm if we're not grounded in truth. 
and we won't understand what God wants to do in our lives if we don't seek first to understand. So what's our response? Hebrews chapter six. Here it is in closing. Verses one through three. Therefore, people of God, beloved, church, courageous ones, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to what? Maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instructions about cleansing rites or baptisms and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. If we could just get those things settled, you guys, we could move on to maturity and God permitting, we will do so. You guys receive that today? It's time for us to grow up, to become strong and mature in him. And God permitting, we will do so. I like that the writer ends with an affirmative. We can do this, church. By the grace and power of God, we can grow up so that we can grow out and have impact in the lives of others. Did you receive that today? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that together as people who are on a journey, learning how to follow Jesus, learning how to love Jesus, learning how to serve Jesus, courageously that we could move from milk into solid food and we get off the bottle because as nice and wonderful as that place is, it's not where you want us to remain. And so the challenge you set before us today is to examine our hearts, to examine our lives. Lord, where do we need to become more trained in discernment? Where do we need to better distinguish between good and evil? God, where do we need to become better trained and, and acquainted in righteousness? Where do we need to become Grounded in truth, Father, where we need to seek to understand before just being understood. Help us, Holy God. Give us the grace and the strength and the wisdom and the understanding to do it. And we thank you for the gift and the promise that comes by way of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for anybody in this place today that, that feels challenged, compelled, inspired, or rebuked, that you, Lord God, would watch over your word, that you would perform it in our lives, that it would grow down deep into the soils of our hearts and grow and produce a harvest. And we give you thanks for that today. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said amen. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.